God bless you. We're going right to the word of the Lord. I, Brother Hodge uh, took last Wednesday's lesson and taught it so very, very well. I, I listened to his uh, or most of his message there on Wednesday night, and I, I appreciate the things he had to say. I'm going right back to that one more time. This will be the final time I talk about knowing your enemy, but I believe we ought to know our enemy. Let me tell you, the devil is wreaking havoc. trying to in the church, but he's wreaking havoc with people who let him wreak havoc. And we're not, we're not ignorant to what he's trying to do. Amen? I, uh, I just believe in my heart tonight that the Lord wants us to be aware of what is happening around us. I'm going to read those same scriptures again. I've read them every Wednesday night that I've taught here, and I think Brother Hodge read them and gave a great explanation of those scriptures last Wednesday, but I'm going to read them again so you can take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. The Bible said, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And that's where I want to go again this evening. We are, the New International Version said, we are not unaware of his schemes. We understand the devil's schemes. And the Living Bible said, a further reason for forgiveness is to keep from being outsmarted by Satan. For we know, everybody say we know. We know what he is trying to do. How many of you know what the devil's trying to do? Now those that didn't raise your hand, obviously you hadn't been at church. Because we've been telling you what he's trying to do. Amen. But I, I, I believe that it's the will of God for us to understand the work and the, the tactics and the tricks and the lies of the devil. That's why Peter said in his writing, be sober. Be sober. That means, that means you got to get serious about this. And he said, be vigilant because he is your adversary, the devil, and as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists, steadfast in the faith, knowing, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in you and your brethren that are in the world. So we've talked for four Wednesday nights about knowing our enemy and knowing his tactics and knowing that he's a liar. We understand he's a destroyer. We understand that he's the ruler of this world. We understand these things. Tonight, I want to take a little different approach. And the last, the last lesson that we'll have, and hopefully we've covered most of what the devil is, he's still a liar. He's still a destroyer. Amen. He's still a ruler of this world. And, uh, and he's a very powerful force in our world. But tonight I want to expose him because he is not only all of that, he is the accuser of the brethren. That's what the Bible called him. Let me read a little bit from Revelations chapter 12, beginning at verse 10. John said, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. 
and they overcame him. I like this. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the seal, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth. I love this. He knoweth that he hath but a short time. How many of you believe the devil knows he don't have long? He can read prophecy just like you can. He can tell what time it is by the, the words of this book just like you can. And he knows that he don't have long. I'm submitting to you on this Wednesday night that he has unleashed an all-out attack upon the people of God in the last days, more so than he ever has because of this scripture right here. He knoweth that he hath but a short time. Amen. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 and 10, verse, verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get advantage over you. Amen. For we're not ignorant. I, I wanted to read that again because that fits so well in what I'm going to talk about tonight. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly sorrow... Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So here's where we want to go on this Wednesday night. We want to talk about the target of Satan. We want to talk about exactly what he's trying to do among the people of God. Let me tell you, the devil doesn't hate you because you are you. He hates you because you are associated with the kingdom of God. He will do everything within his power to destroy anything that God is doing. He hates the body of Christ because it is God's work in this earth. Amen? Anybody with me tonight? So let me, let me give you a scenario. You know, the devil's not, he's not, happy enough just to cause somebody to fail or to cause somebody to sin because when that's over then he wants to halt you and attack you and control you with your downfall or your sin and he wants to make it doubly mad or, or defeated for you and doubly mad bad because he knows that if he can get in your mind, he can destroy you. His, his target to you, ladies and gentlemen, is your conscience and your heart. The devil works on our conscience. And he is constantly accusing us when we fail or when we make a mistake. Let me read to you out of the book of Zechariah chapter 3. The Bible said in chapter 3, and I'm reading not from the King James but another version, but here's what it says. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, Zechariah's writing this, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house, and also have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. Here's the story. Satan was before the Lord accusing Joshua the high priest. And Joshua was standing before God in filthy garments. So it looked like that Satan had a case against Joshua. But let me give you some explanation. This setting of the courtroom is God as being the judge and Joshua the high priest as being the defendant and Satan being the prosecutor. He comes before the Lord and he thinks he has a case against Joshua because he has on filthy garments. Because the high priest, listen to me now, he was to wear clean garments. That was the attire of the high priest. And the devil was saying, look at him. He's in filthy garments. And the prophet Zechariah had this vision when the, when the nation of Israel had sinned against God. If you go back and study this time, you'll read in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophecies of Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi. You you'll find that the Jewish men, were they were divorcing their wives and marrying heathen women and that Jewish merchants were charging their brethren exorbitant interest rates, which was against the law of God, and that even the priests were robbing God and keeping the best of the sacrifices for themselves. There was a lot of stuff going on in Israel, and it was a time of sin and a time when that nation was not doing the will of God. And so Joshua is dressed in filthy garments, and he's standing before the Lord. And Satan is saying, look at him. Look at him. You need to judge him. You need to take care of that. Let me tell you what the devil does. He is constantly, I read it to you in Revelation, he is constantly standing before God day and night, criticizing and accusing the church. I want you to understand something. <clears throat> Nobody here is perfect. So I'm going to deal with it a little bit tonight. Nobody's here. here. Have, you, 
have, have you considered Israel, the servants in Israel? The devil would say they're, they're all rebellious. They're, they're disobedient. They're, they're not doing the things that they should do. And, and, and Lord, look, Lord, you chastened them when they were in Babylon. And, and look at them. They're, they're disobedient again. They're disobeying you. Let me tell you, when, when you and I have disobeyed God, Satan moves in for the finishing stroke to finish us off the best he can. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to tell you that. And every time you do, he's going to attack your, attack your heart, the devil is, and he's going to attack your conscience. And here's what he's going to say. Are you really a Christian? You think God really loves you after you've been the kind of guy you are? Do you know how filthy and dirty you really are? And look what you've done if your friends all knew who you really were. If your husband or wife or your, your mom or your dad or your closest friend really knew you, it might get quiet because I'm getting down to where we live now because we've all, we've all been talked to by those spirits in our mind. Because I want to tell you, everybody here in this room and everybody I've ever preached to has their struggles. There's nobody. You look, they can put that little smile on and say, oh, I'm doing great. Inside of every man, there is a struggle. Inside of every woman, there is a struggle. It may not be the same struggle. It may be something that you're dealing with out there. It may be something you're dealing with in here. It may be something you're dealing with in here. But there are struggles in every life. And when we fail and we struggle, the devil wants to hop up on us and tell us how terrible we are, how big of a failure we are, and how lost we are. Because he, my friend, is an accuser of the brethren. See how subtle and merciless Satan really is? Before we sin, watch this. While he's tempting us, he's telling us and whispering to us, you can get away with this. It's like when he talked to Adam and Eve in the garden. This, this fruit's only gonna, it's only going to make you become God like he is. He's a liar. But when you, when you do it and when you finally sin, then he starts shouting, Oh, you're not going to get away with this. God's not going to forgive you. I can't tell you the people that I've talked to in my lifetime that felt like God would not forgive them because they had sinned too many times. That's a lie. Everybody say it with me. That's a lie. Let me tell you, I read the book, and the Bible said the mercies of God are from everlasting to everlasting. As high as the heaven is, and as deep as the sea is, so are the mercies of God. The mercies of God are greater than you and I can even imagine. As a matter of fact, in the book of Lamentation, it talks about his mercy being new every morning. 
Every day there's new mercy for you. Every day because we are nothing but human and we are just flesh and we are going to make mistakes but we can't let the devil destroy us over our mistakes. He is a liar and nothing but the accuser of the brethren. Have you heard his hateful voice in your heart? Has he jumped in your conscience? Has he tried to make it worse than it was? And he will have you in deep despair if he can possibly get in your head. Amen. He uses accusation. That's, that's his weapon. That's his weapon. He just, he's a finger pointer. He's always accusing you. You know, if you want to go back, look, he accused Abraham. See what Abraham did? He lied. That, he said Sarah wasn't his wife and she was his wife. The father of the faithful lied to protect his family. See what David did? Have you, he's an accuser. You see what David did, God? David, David committed adultery. He committed murder. Come on now. He told the prophet a lie. He did all kind of stuff bad, bad, bad. And the devil was accusing. Peter, the man with the keys to the kingdom of heaven, did you see what he did, God? He denied you. He denied, he denied Jesus three times. He, he, he didn't want to be associated. It's, and you know what? It's important that we learn to distinguish between Satan's accusations and the Spirit's conviction. I want to talk about that a little bit because the devil will condemn you, but God will convict you. Condemnation comes from Satan. The Bible said the Lord didn't come here to condemn the world. How many of you believe that? He don't want you living every day condemned. Now, when the Spirit of the Lord comes... See, here's the difference. Condemnation will make you want to commit suicide. Conviction will make you want to pray. Well, that's a good analogy right there. Condemnation will drive you crazy because you can't get it off your mind. That's the devil whispering and talking. and You didn't really repent. You didn't get the Holy Ghost. You didn't talk in tongues. That was a lie. You didn't do that. You did that on your own. Come on, I'm talking about what we hear in the voice of Satan. All the time we deal with this. But the Holy Ghost and conviction, when God starts talking, he's not an accuser. He's like the prodigal son's father. He's waiting. He's got his arms stretched open. He's smiling. He's welcoming you home. If you feel like praying, it's the Spirit of God. If you feel like quitting, it's condemnation from the devil. I thought about that when I was, when I was studying for this and, 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 and realizing that, you know, a lot of people listen to the voice of the devil when he's accusing, and, and that's why they get, that's why there's depression and there's oppression, and that's why there's spirits that jump on them. And, the, and you know, I don't know if you know it or not, but suicide is the leading killer in America. People kill themselves. People are desperate. They want answers. It's 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 a it's a horrible thing. And 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 I want to tell you, and, and we had this discussion. My wife and I have had it many times. She doing what she does. She understands the human mind probably better than I do. But she says when people 
commit suicide. They're really not at themselves. They're, they, they've become sick. There, there's, there's a sickness in their brain, and they're, and they're not really at themselves. Nobody really wants to kill themselves. It's a depression. It's a spirit. It's a sickness that comes on people. Well, God doesn't want that. Here's what he wants. He wants to love you back into the kingdom. He wants to take the accusations of Satan and turn them around. I've always said this, and I'll say it again on this Wednesday night. When Satan starts accusing you and reminding you of your past, why don't you just start reminding him of his future because I read the scripture the Bible said that he's come down and having great wrath because he knows his time is short where he's going to wind up is bound and thrown into an eternal hell that was made for the devil and his angels somebody here ought to say amen Judas listened to the voice of condemnation and committed suicide he listened to the devil and went out and hanged himself. There's a difference. I want to get this clear to you tonight. There's a difference in conviction and condemnation. The devil wants you condemned. The Lord wants you convicted. Everybody say amen. I hope you understand that. So, so his, his target is to get in your heart. And get in your conscience. Let me tell you about your conscience. Your conscience is the world's greatest preacher to you. It's better than I am. It's better than any other pastor. It's better than any advances comes along. Your conscience is given to you by God. There's a little, there's a little guy inside you. Every one of you. You've heard him. You may not like him sometimes. But he'll stand up when he needs to stand up. And he'll say, you know, but I, I don't have to be with you. It don't have to be a Wednesday or Sunday. You can go Tuesday night out to the bar, and little old brother conscience is going to stand up and say, you know better than this. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth, don't you? I never will forget when I was just a boy. We lived, we lived right behind Southside Drugs, and the church was right across the street. And, and, and so me and some of the boys, you know, we, we decided we was going to get us some candy for church one night. And, you know, it, like, like, like this is, like this is the, the counter with all the candy, you know. Old, old Joseph in there, God bless his soul, he's, he's dead now, but he put up with a lot of us. And we'd back up against the candy. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the conscience would say, you know. Have you ever went to bed with a conscience preaching? I didn't mean to go here, but I'm going to stay here for just a minute because let me tell you, your conscience is a mighty preacher. Don't, don't shut him down. Don't shut him down. The Bible talked about those in the New Testament. Paul talked about having your conscience seared with a hot iron. You know what that means? You don't have any feeling anymore. You need your conscience. Everybody say, Lord. Give me a good conscience. I need a good conscience. I need a conscience to preach to me every morning, every evening, every day, everything I do. If I'm about to rip somebody off, I need my conscience to stand up and say, no, 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 don't do that. If I'm about to punch somebody out, my conscience needs to say, oh, you're going to get in trouble for that. 
Come on now. You know I'm telling you the truth. But here's what the devil attacks. He attacks your conscience and he tries to control it. He wants you to think everything's okay. And he attacks your heart. And he gets down and he, and he works on the inner man. And he starts telling you things that are untrue. And he starts accusing you of things that maybe you have done. Here's what you got to know. Everything the devil says to you is a lie. But sometimes, watch this now. Sometimes he tells the truth about you when he's talking to God, when he catches you in, in something wrong. He will go tell on you, and he stands before God. You want me to read it to you? The Bible said he stands there day and night before God accusing the brethren. He's always there. He, he's always, he, he takes every mistake you make, and he takes it to God. Look at them. That's your boy down there. That's, that, that's sister so-and-so that shouted Sunday. Look at her cursing now. I'm like somebody I heard not long ago. They, they said, I, I, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little bit too. I know a lot of folks that way. Your conscience, the accuser of the brethren. You know, here's what he wants to do. He wants to bring an indictment by God's will. He wants, Satan wants you to feel so guilty. He wants you to experience regret and remorse, but he never wants you to repent. He wants you to feel the remorse. He wants you to feel the regret, but he don't want you to feel conviction. He wants to keep accusing you so that you focus your attention on yourself and your sins. Ladies and gentlemen, one thing that you can't do is do the work of God as long as you're focused on the things that, that went wrong. Somewhere, you not only will God forgive you, you have to forgive yourself. The devil will never let you forgive yourself if you keep listening to him. Amen. As long as you're feeling guilty and you're under indictment, you're moving farther from God instead of closer to Him. But when you feel conviction and you say, Lord, I'm wrong. I need, to, I need to fix myself. I need to repent of this. I need to get it right. You're going in the right direction and Satan can't stand that and he'll stand in your path the whole way. He wants you to feel guilty. He wants you, he wants you to feel like there's no... You know, here's what he is. Satan is a, he's a God of no hope. He don't want you to have hope. Do you understand that all of our hope is in Jesus? All of our hope is in the Lord. Everything that we have. This is why when Joshua came, when Joshua came before the Lord, Satan wanted to destroy hope for Israel. He was constantly trying to do that. And, and that's why the Lord said, let me tell you something. I want you to dress him up in festal robes. Get that dirty garment off of him because I'm going to put him in charge of my house and I'm going to put him in charge of my courts. I, I'm, he's come to stand before me because he knows he's guilty and he wants forgiveness and Israel needs forgiveness. So I'm going to forgive them. I don't care what the devil devil tells you God will forgive you. I want you to hear me again. I don't care what he says. God will forgive you. You say, but I've done it 10 times before. God will forgive you.
I, uh, I read a little something this week about, well, a preacher that said that when people go to church, they, they need to leave with hope. They need to leave with knowing that God still loves them. Now, look, I, I believe there still needs to be messages on hell. I still believe that we need to preach against sin. Everybody with me? I don't think preachers ought to quit preaching against sin in the 21st century. And sometimes that makes us feel uncomfortable. But they, there always needs to be at the end of every sermon and every service hope. There always needs to be hope. People need to leave here knowing, well, I've sinned and I've wronged, but there's hope. God will help me. God will forgive me. Sad to say, sad to say, but some churches major in guilt. They seem to feel like unless a Christian goes home feeling guilty, they hadn't really been to church. I heard somebody say, well, for years I went to church and I just felt like no matter what I'd done, I couldn't be saved. No matter how good you were, it wasn't good enough. Don't y'all get quiet on me. And it's been that way a lot of times. I mean, you pray and cry and snot and slobber and get around the altar. And when you get up and you leave, you just, you just don't really know because some people don't leave you any hope. Here's what I believe. And I may be ostracized for what I'm about to say. But I believe anybody can walk in this church and get forgiveness just like that. I, can believe, I believe anybody in this building can pray and get forgiveness just like that. I don't believe you've got to beg God for an hour. I believe godly sorrow, I read it to you, godly sorrow worketh repentance. And I want to tell you, if God forgives, so do we have to forgive. Because the devil will not only accuse them and accuse them to God, but he'll accuse them to you. And he'll paint a picture of your brother or your sister in their wrongdoing or their, their low place or their mistake, and, and he'll have you believe and they can't ever be right with God. Let me tell you something. God, I, I read a story uh, that may have been today about Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala pastors in uh, New York City, and uh, the, uh, what is it, Tabernacle, what, huh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, I couldn't think of the name, Brooklyn Tabernacle, and, and he, he told about a, an Easter service that he preached, and, and when he got through preaching, he, he said, I, I just, everything was beautiful, wonderful, we had all of our altar workers up, people were coming down praying. He said, I undone my tie, and I just sat on, the, on the, uh, the, the platform with my feet dangling. And if I sit here, my feet will certainly dangle. But uh, he, he said, I looked back, and he saw a, a, a dirty guy look like he came. And he said, we get them all the time, being in Brooklyn. He said, we, we see them all the time. They come in, and, and, and they're dirty, and they're filthy, and a lot of them's winos and drug addicts, and they want 
money most of the time. And he said, I, my eye made contact with this guy sitting about halfway back. And, and the guy looked at me and I looked at him and he said, I quickly looked down thinking, oh, no, here's another one that wants some money. And, uh, and, and he, when he looked back up, the guy was looking at him again. So he waved the guy and the guy walked up to him. He said, he said I couldn't hardly stand the smell. He said, I, I, would, uh, I would have to turn away and inhale and then I'd exhale while I was talking to him. This is Jim Semblance. He told the story. And he said, the guy came up and he, and he said, I reached back in my back pocket because I had a little clip with some money. And I thought, well, he's going to want money and I'm just going to do this. To, it's Easter and I, I don't normally give people money. We normally take them and feed them, but we, we don't give them money because they'll just go buy another bottle of wine. Or, But he said, I reached in my pocket to get some money and, and when I pulled it out, the guy pointed his finger at me and said, no, I don't want any money. I want this Jesus you're talking about. And he said, I started to cry. He said, I started to weep because I realized that I had mistakenly called it wrong. I had just, I had just looked at this man and prejudged him and said, he's after money. He's after another bottle of wine. He said, the man watched me cry, and, and he started crying. And he said, anyway, long story short, the man fell on him, and, and uh, the Lord convicted him, and he said, you know, I, 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 I realized that that smell was what I, I needed in my life. And that dirty man, he said, we took that man, we fed him, we found him a place to stay, and, and he started to work for the church. He started cleaning the church, and he started doing things around. And anyway, so he, a year later, a year went by, and he was sober, and he was clean, and and he was trying, and so Jim Simbola said, I brought him to the platform, and I, I let him give a little little testimony. He said, the minute he started talking, I said, my God, the man's a preacher. And he said, it wasn't long down the road before all cleaned up and all fixed up. Now the man is somewhere in New Jersey helping to pastor a church there. Why are you saying all that? Because I'm going to tell you, the devil will lie to you about your fellow man and he's an accuser of the brethren and he'll make it look worse than it is and you can't judge everybody that walks down this aisle and you can't judge everybody that comes to this altar. You can't write them all by the way they look or the way they smell. You have to know that God loves people and He's in the people business as he's in the soul-saving business. And it doesn't matter if you're a banker or a lawyer or a pauper or a beggar that God loves people. And we've got to do that too. We can't fall into the clutches of the devil and let him be an accuser of the brethren and destroy our insight to what God wants to do. They don't need to leave here without hope. They need to leave here with hope. This church, is not, this church is not a Kiwanis club. This church is a hospital. This church is not a place where, where we just uh, gather up and socialize. And we love socializing. Pentecostals are going to eat about everything they do. We're going to eat something. Will you all agree with me? That's, that's why we're always on diets. Amen. You can make millions of dollars selling Pentecostal people diet pills. Because we eat at everything. But it's, you know, that's what we do. 
We love socializing, but it's got to be more than socializing. It's got to be more than Thursday lunch, Jay. It's got to be more than first Sunday lunch, ladies. It's got to be more than a barbecue or a fish fry or a crawfish bowl. Our mission in this life is to save people. We can't accuse. We can't watch. We can't dissect and bisect and make sure everybody's doing everything right. Let's just let people go to Jesus and when they walk away from him, they're forgiven. And when they come out of his presence, they're better and everything is going to be better when you fall in the arms of Jesus. Hallelujah. We don't need anything less than the divine presence of God and to shun the accuser of the brethren. So here's our defense. We fall into the hands of an interceding God. It's true that Satan stands at our right hand to resist us and accuse us, but it's also true that Jesus Christ is the intercession and the interceder for all men. The Bible said, the Bible said, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you know what an advocate is? He's a lawyer. An advocate is a lawyer. So you have your own personal lawyer that when you fail, that will go to God. For you. Jesus Christ is your advocate. He loves you. He's the embodiment of God. And He is the fleshly one that stands between you and God, the eternal Spirit. And I'm telling you right now that when we sin, the Bible said, don't sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You see, Here's, here's, here's a scripture that I, that I love, and, and you can take this any way you want to. If you yield to temptation, you're human, and I don't, that don't give you license to sin. But I'm just telling you right now, from the pulpit to the back door to side walls, in the balcony, over to the youth center, back to the kid zone, I want to tell you right now, everybody has failed. Everybody. Are we proud about it? No. Do we glory in that? Absolutely not. But we fail. That's why the Lord put these kind of scriptures in the Bible. Here's one you want to know about. It's found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You ought to mark it in your Bible because this is what it said. If we confess and this is written to the church. This is not written to sinners. This is an epistle to the church. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you believe that scripture? Then you should never let the devil stand and accuse you another day. You just need to say, devil, you're a liar. Let me read to you, devil, out of the book of God, if we confess our sins. Now, that doesn't, pardon me, that doesn't mean you come confess to me. That's not what it's talking about. We need to go confess to God. This, I, 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 you know, I know churches that have a confession booth, and you can go, but, but that's not where it's at. 
Where it's at is you go confess to him because he will let his blood cover you. And he will forgive you immediately for the things that you've done. I just feel like somebody needs to know right now that it ain't over until you hear him say, well done. It ain't over the devil can accuse you of anything he wants to accuse you of. He can pull up your past. He can show you your mistakes. He can fill your mind and your heart with all of his lies and garbage and untruths and trickery. But I'm telling you right now, if you go to the Word of God, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. Who is faithful? God is faithful to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last time I checked, the only thing that will cleanse a man from unrighteousness is the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Is there anybody beside me that has needed the blood over and over and over and over? I've just been to the blood. There's a fountain flowing that, that is blood that it covers the sins of men and washes us. And make, The Bible said in Psalms, the Bible said, though your sins be as scarlet, they can become as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson they can become as wool why because nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all of our sin I'm just encouraging you tonight don't listen to the accuser of the brethren don't you listen to his lies another day he stood there that day to take Joshua to task and he thought he could talk God into judging him harshly but the Lord said uh 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 I'm going to I want you to bring in a festal robe. I want you to I want you to know he's going to be in charge because he is standing here confessing before me and everything's going to be all right. Is there anybody in the room tonight that understands that our only defense is the interceding son of God named Jesus Christ? Hmm. So if you know him, the enemy, if you know the enemy, there's stages that, that, he, that he goes through. There's things that he uses, his tactics. That's why Paul wrote that we're not ignorant. We know his schemes. We know what he's up to. When you listen to, to the devil and focus your attention on him, your attention's off the things of God. Get your nose in the book. Turn your gospel music on. If you fill your mind with all the junk that the world's offering you, it's hard to hear the voice of God. Amen? Some things you just need to tune out sometime. You just need to push them aside sometime. Because it, the bottom line is, is you got you got to you got to be tuned in to what God is trying to say, because if you listen to the voices, you know what the Bible said. There's there's voices in this world, many voices, and none of them is without signification. There's a lot of voices speaking into your life, a lot of things being said. You can't listen to all the voices. You gotta you gotta know the voice of God, and you gotta know that when you feel conviction, you feel the drawing of the Spirit. 
when you feel condemnation, it's of the devil. I want to say it again. When you feel condemnation, it's of the devil. When you feel like no hope, no way out, devil's lying. That's condemnation. When you feel like, have you ever talked to anybody just felt like they had sinned too many times? They just couldn't come to God. I've told the story many times through the years, but let me just tell you, I, many years ago, I got a call in the middle of the night, and uh, a guy that I had been teaching a Bible study called me to his house. He was pacing, a little short guy. He was wringing his hands. I'll never forget it. I said, what's wrong, Charles? He said, I'll tell you what's wrong. He said, all this st stuff you've been teaching me and all, all these things, been coming to church, been been." You know, the Lord was dealing with him, but the devil, the devil got in the way. He said, I just, he said, I fought in Vietnam. I killed people. I've done horrible things. I've been such a sinner. He said, preacher, I just don't feel like God's going to forgive me. The devil had convinced him that God wouldn't forgive him. I said, Charles, the devil is a liar. He will forgive you. I don't care how many people. You believe what you want to. I don't care how many people you've killed. I don't care how many words you've said. I don't care how many bad things you've done. When you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. And he fell on his face, and God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But he was having such a struggle because the accuser of the brethren was convincing him that he could not be saved. I hope I've helped you tonight. If the devil's been on your back, you need to get him off. He's a liar, and you need to understand what kind of lies he's telling you. Now, look, God's not going to forgive unconfessed sin. He's going to forgive you when you come honestly and earnestly before him. Amen? Let me give you a proverb. You ready? He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. He who conceals his transgression. That means unrepented of sin. When you don't repent, God can't forgive you. But when you come to your senses and know you're wrong and you repent, God immediately forgives you. Could I say something to you and not hurt your feelings? If you've asked God to forgive you, and he has, quit going back and asking him again. Just know that he has. It's the devil's business to make you repent over it a thousand times. Here's what you have to have, faith in God. And you have to say, Lord, I'm bringing this to you, and I'm leaving it in your hands. I am sorry. I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit. I'm going to turn around. Here it is. And when God forgives you, you'll feel that burden lift. But here's what happens a week later. The accuser of the brethren shows up. And when you kneel down to pray, you think you've got to repent of that again. Is everybody with me tonight? Y'all know I'm telling you the truth, don't you? So we, we repent of it again. We're all guilty. God's already forgiven you of that. Just know your faith has to be strong enough to know that when you confess, you're forgiven. When you repent, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Don't let the accuser keep coming around. Because if he can do it one day or one week, guess what? 
When you bow down next week, he's coming again. And the next week, he's coming again. He wants to keep that on your shoulders. He wants to keep you loaded down with that. He don't want you to forget it. And we can't forget some things. Anybody here in this room that would like to forget some things? Oh, yeah. I, there's some stuff I'd like to put behind me that I can't ever forget. There's some things you would too. But our human nature causes us to remember them. But when you remember them, take this attitude. I've already repented of that, and God's already forgiven me of that. So I'm moving on. Devil, take a back seat. That's already been taken care of. I'm moving on. I'm going to fall into the hands of a righteous God. Hallelujah. Stand with me all over the house tonight.